to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure it's broke. When I'm gone, no one gets on. Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I set. I like to stand in a crowd and watch the people wonder. Damn, but think about it, then you understand. I'm just an addict, addicted to music. Maybe it's a habit. I gotta use it. Even if it's jazz or the quiet storm, I hook a beat up, converted into hip-hop. Welcome to BFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast. Presented by 4 for 4 Football, I am 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by my guy, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What is going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Um, it's another day getting into this this research, getting ready to uh, talk about my favorite position with you, wide receivers. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready to do this, man. Most definitely, this will be our third pod of our positional strategy pods on wide receiver. We are banging you guys in the head with these pods, doing four pods in the last week before week one of the regular season. So if you haven't checked out the quarterback and the running back one, they're up on iTunes right now. Be sure to check those out. Tight end will be coming in the next day or two. So some good stuff for us to talk about. Before we get into the pod, just want to... Tell you guys, the song that played us in was Eric B. and Rakim, Ain't No Joke, off their 1987 album, Paid in Full. 1987 was actually the year I was born, but this song, heard it later on, a little later on in life, and one of the one of the best um, rappers, I think, Rakim, got a chance to meet him up at Syracuse when I went to school, um, got his autograph, so that was a really cool experience, so I'm always willing to throw some Rakim up on the front of the podcast. Also, want to tell you guys that if you rate and review the podcast on iTunes and send a screenshot to DFSMVP at 444.com, you get 25% off a 444 DFS subscription. So if you guys feel like rating and reviewing the pod, send the screenshot to DFSMVP at 444.com and you guys can get 25% off a 444 DFS sub. Let's get right into this wide receiver strategy and TJ I'll start with there's just so many wide receivers playable in a given week you know every team usually has two or three guys that play the majority of the snaps so TJ in a full slate of games what are you looking at first to just start your research with wide receivers and how do you go about just narrowing it down from the maybe 60 or so options that are usually going to be available on a full slate? Yeah, so with the other positions, running back and uh, quarterback, we talked a lot about uh, looking at Vegas odds to start. I don't do that much with wide receivers. We can really get into the details of that um, a little bit later in the pod. But what I'm really looking at with uh, my wide receivers is their volume. And, and I think about volume with wide receivers a couple different ways. Obviously, uh, target, overall targets, targets per game is the driver behind fantasy scoring. That turns into receptions, especially on PPR sites uh, like DraftKings. That's where I'm starting at, but then I'm also looking at something like uh, market share because sometimes we just don't have very high um, passing volume offenses, but we can get an idea of who 
is might see a big uptick in targets if for some reason it's going to be a shootout or something like that. So if you have if you have a wide receiver on a team that's seen 25 to 30% of targets, uh, but he's only seen seven or eight targets a game, if he's all of a sudden a shootout, um, that guy might become a cash game play. He might see an uptick 10 or 11 targets. And then uh, one other thing that I, I look at, at least just to narrow down my uh, player pool, is projected targets divided by... Um, uh, salary. Um, and that's just a quick, it's kind of like a, like a dollar per point metric, but instead it's, it's just looking at, um, uh, way to value volume. And that's definitely not an end all be all, but it does give me a quick idea of players that might be overvalued or undervalued. Is there any particular market share cutoff that you use? I get that question a lot. Yeah. I mean, I like to have 25% and above 20% is kind of like getting into low-end wide receiver two, wide receiver three status in general. Um, anything below 20% usually out of playing cash games for me just because what that's going to do, it's going to expand the range of outcomes. We always talk about, at least with cash games, looking for a narrow range of outcomes. Uh, if you aren't even guaranteed to see 20% of your team's targets, um, then you could have a player that... If for whatever reason that that volume isn't there that day, seeing one or two, three targets, that's just not good in that situation. But uh, again, no hard and fast rule, but I'm looking around that 25% area if possible. Yeah, I agree. 25%, that's one out of every four throws, and 20%, that's one out of every five. So if you start going below that, it's going to get shaky. And I think market share is important to look at just because it kind of from what I've noticed anyway, it builds in a little bit of safety and upside to wide receivers. So even when I'm in regular fantasy drafts and I'm drafting late, I'll usually take those guys like the Robbie Andersons or anybody who's going to, we think is going to be the number one wide receiver for a team. Because as you mentioned, TJ, when there's a shootout, that, that market share, if you're, if you're the leading receiver on a team, you usually end up with the most outlying number of targets or if even if you're if you have a bad game if you're the the top target getter on a team you know that number one guy you'll probably still fare a little better than than most so um, market share definitely try to get it to around 25% not always going to happen for every team and every every receiver but some general cutoffs to look at now i want to talk about targets a little more because i think there's a misconception within the industry and that's it, it makes a lot of sense so i want to talk about it and that's that targets are the really the end-all be-all when it comes to projecting wide receivers and you should always put targets first and you know volume over efficiency and all that and I think that's a lot more true at the running back position and also at the tight end position because there's less um, of a difference between the type of targets tight ends get but for wide receivers I actually did a lot of research on this I talk about it in the DFS playbook 2017 strategy how to pick a wide receiver article in the first section but when you look at wide receiver production and you're trying to predict fantasy points in the next game targets is the most predictive stat and this is season to date target so this is in a given season targets is the most predictive stat when you have a sample size of four games or less once you hit that five game mark 
then overall production, as in fantasy points themselves, start to predict future fantasy points more accurately than targets alone. And I think that's because obviously over a small sample, things are going to fluctuate and the receivers getting the most targets are going to be those receivers that are probably going to rise to the top. However, once you start getting into a handful of games or more, all the different type of wide receiver profiles and their and their different types of target distances and how often they get targeted in the red zone, etc., is going to play a big part in their fantasy production. So if you have a, a receiver that's maybe getting eight, nine targets a game, but they're all kind of these slot targets and very short, maybe not many red zone looks, that receiver might not be a better play than a wide receiver getting only six targets a game, but getting very high leverage, high value targets. And I think it really hit me as I was doing this offseason research because I remember last season kind of playing certain guys that at the time, maybe I don't, I don't think it was as easy to justify or explain, but playing guys like Tyreek Hill and Taylor Gabriel a lot down the stretch last season, it ended up working out well, and I don't think it always will, but it's it's just one of those things where it kind of explains that the type of, your, your overall production, it, it just, for wide receivers, there's so much of a, of a difference between talent levels and target distances and the quarterbacks throwing you the ball, also uh, differentiates how valuable a target is for a wide receiver how many looks you're getting in the red zone are you getting these plays schemed for you are you getting these easy short catches like all these different things factor in to the point where you really have to weight um, production and really take that a lot more into account so that would actually have helped a lot of people last year too because you look at guys like DeAndre Hopkins and Allen Robinson and Brandon Marshall who yeah after a few games three or four games we were still playing those guys on the basis of okay these guys are going to get a lot of targets they are getting a lot of targets but as the season wore on I think some people more than others were just banging their head into the wall just playing these guys over and over and it really didn't work out and I think if if we kind of knew that that you know he's really supposed to pay a lot more attention to production it's going to be the the most predictive um, stats to forecast upcoming produ- wide receiver production um, that would have helped kind of fade the, a lot of those busts down the stretch and so I think I really want to um, kind of reinforce that fact because it's something that I didn't even wasn't fully aware of until I really dug in um, this offseason TJ any any thoughts on that yeah one thing that that you uh, mentioned that I really want to get into is um, is depth of target but before we we get on to that uh you you pretty much summed it up perfectly, and your analysis basically outlined uh, how I approach wide receiver, any position really, but wide receiver each week with any position in, in daily fantasy or fantasy football for that matter, um, but especially daily because we're talking about narrowing down a player pool and then picking uh, players from literally every available player in the league. Uh, I'm looking for guys that check as many boxes as possible so the the target and the target share numbers are really just narrowing down our range and that's still going to get you to uh, tens of receivers which is a lot to choose from sometimes that might narrow it down to 20 but you still have to pick three uh i'm literally putting every single stat next to uh every player that i think is important and seeing who checks the most boxes so uh that that's a really good point there and when you talked about 
um, depth of target, that really comes into play depending on, uh, we talk about player type with running backs, pass catchers, or, or guys that are going to be hurt by game script. Uh, this is really important too for receivers, receivers that are going to see um, shorter passes and to, to the same tune, knowing what position these receivers play, so looking at something like slot percentage, is really going to give us a lot of insight into uh, what that player's value is, what their floor and ceiling is, and uh, just their overall range of outcomes. If you have someone that, that's going to be uh, close to the line of scrimmage with, with a team that isn't going to throw deep, plays a slot a lot, uh, that guy's going to have a very high floor, uh, but if you have a, a player with a, a very deep depth of target that plays on the outside but doesn't have a quarterback that is uh, fit to get him those throws, even if he's seeing high volume, he might not be a, a reasonable pick. So that's one thing that, that you mentioned that really stood out to me. Definitely. That's a great point just about the consistency because that's what I wanted to talk about next. We've done studies in the past on CV and consistency of different statistics, and we, we find that receptions is really the, the most consistent stat that goes into fantasy points for wide receivers. Targets is even a little more consistent, but again, when, when you're looking, I think receptions is pretty much almost as consistent as targets, and it's almost a better barometer because you're seeing the guys, again, you're seeing the different pro files play out so if you want to just look at targets you might maybe misled a little bit because eight you know eight deep targets that have a small chance of being complete or you know have a wide range of outcomes each week is not going to be the same as eight you know short targets where you're getting six receptions a week off those targets guaranteed almost so receptions is something you really want to look at and always try to get those guys especially in DraftKings, those those guys who can pile up the receptions um, on FanDuel, it's a little bit different. On FanDuel, you, you want to really hone in on those receivers getting red zone targets. And the reason being is that there's no yardage bonus for 100 yards. Reception value is cut in half compared to a PPR format. So you really need those touchdowns or it's going to be tough for a wide receiver to pay off his value. Even in cash games, like in FanDuel cash games, there's there's almost no such thing as a slam dunk wide receiver play because... For example, you could have a guy like Antonio Brown go six catches for 100 yards. But if he doesn't get a touchdown, that's only 13 points. So and you're usually going to need, he's usually about 9K, so you're usually going to need anywhere from 16 to 20 points from, from Brown to pay off his value. So those touchdowns are vitally important, and the red zone targets are where those touchdowns are going to come from. About two-thirds of receiving touchdowns in the NFL come from from in the red zone and it's probably a tiny bit lower for wide receivers because I think tight ends it's a little bit higher so I'd say maybe maybe about 60% come from in the red zone but still that's very important that's why on FanDuel you lean towards those guys like Michael Crabtree a little bit more and guys like that who we know even if they're not going to put up crazy numbers they have a good chance of scoring a touchdown a week in and week out let's talk about cornerback matchups because I think that's something that a lot of people are thinking about a lot more this season um, four for four has actually partnered with 
player profiler for charting data, and that's going to include all the charting data on cornerbacks, the fantasy points per target, per snap. So our wide receiver breakdown this year that, that TJ will be writing in our wide receiver versus cornerback article um, will, will include a lot more of that of that data. The wide receiver cornerback by Mike, Mike Wollert will include a lot more of that, that cornerback data. We also have the average depth of target data that TJ talked about earlier, slot percentage, all that data. We'll be referencing that a lot more to try to find the best plays in a given week. But TJ, when it comes to cornerback matchups, what are you looking at? Are you crossing guys off of your list based on a tough quarterback matchup? Are you targeting weak corners no matter who the receiver is? Or how are you judging cornerback matchups each week? Yeah, I think cornerback matchups are interesting because I think people um, I think people apply the information uh, the wrong way a lot of times. One, people either just kind of look at secondaries and say that this team doesn't allow a lot of points to wide receivers, and that could be a, a very poor way to analyze a matchup just because um, if – if it's because of that, that's all relative to the league, right? So if one cornerback's doing really well, but the other cornerback uh, is very vulnerable, um, there might be an there might be an individual position like a wide receiver two or a slot that might do really well against that defense. But on the whole, that defense looks like they're good against the wide receiver position. So if th- there's a very small handful of cornerbacks that I'm just completely fading and in those situations it's usually a cash game situation because uh in cash games we're splitting hairs right there we're looking at wide receivers that are usually very close in salary if we're comparing them and if there's something like um a a josh norman that's going to be on a number one wide receiver and you have that receiver say it's an antonio brown uh, valued similarly to Odell Beckham, but Odell Beckham just has an average matchup, then that can be the tiebreaker. Uh, where I think people go a little bit too far with analyzing cornerback matchups is in GPPs because a lot of times either these, uh, these cornerbacks don't shadow or the wide receivers, uh, move to something like the slot where even cornerbacks that shadow often don't travel there. So I think people will completely cross a a player off the list because, say, a, a Josh Norman or a Richard Sherman is on a team, but sometimes they're only going to see maybe 25 to 30% of their snaps against that cornerback. So I'm not just looking at the quality of the corner. I also want to be looking at where they're lining up at if they shadow and also how much the – uh, wide receiver in question is going to move as well. Uh, so that's kind of my starting points to how I think about wide receiver cornerback matchups. Well put. I think it, that's, that's a great point just about it's a different situation with every corner and every team. And there's no one size fits all rule for wide receiver versus cornerback matchups because, as TJ mentioned, every wide receiver is going to be different in terms of how much they can go into the slot. Certain wide receivers just struggle against top corners while others don't. So Des Bryant is an example of a wide receiver who tends to struggle a bit against top corners. We saw that play out a lot against Janoris Jenkins of the Giants last season. I believe it was two catches and 14 targets over two games for Des against Jenkins and the Giants. Alshon Jeffries, another one that tends to struggle. But then you have wide receivers who can rip up any matchup. Julio Jones is an example of that. Mike Evans, players like that. And then you have to look at the scheme too. So a lot of times people will avoid the Seahawks, but you have to realize that they play a lot of zone coverage. 
And Richard Sherman isn't always going to be able to shadow the top receiver, even if they want him to. He's been shadowing a little more, but even still, that's on the outside. We saw the Falcons last year put Julio on the slot and do some damage. And then Mike Evans was just such a big guy that, you know, he, you know, something he could just catch touchdowns and catch um, balls on whoever double coverage, single coverage. And that's another thing to think about too with these good corners is that. What happens sometimes if you have a good corner shadowing a top receiver, that means single coverage. So that receiver could still eat. So if you have those guys, especially those explosive guys like an Antonio Brown or an Odell Beckham, where if they might not get single coverage the entire year except when they're playing against a guy like a Josh Norman or, or, or somebody like that. So that's also something to keep in mind, especially in GPPs. It's really a, a case-by-case case basis in terms of how these top corners are going to affect wide receivers. Um, I did... Uh, I looked back last season and, and from just from kind of my notes and the data I had, I, I kind of marked off all the situ- the games where I saw a, a receiver, a, a team's top receiver shadowed or, or getting played by a, a number one corner on a majority of snaps. And, and it, it was about a, uh, a, a drop off in 57% of the game. So a little more than half. It, the wide receiver did perform below his season average. Um, the the average drop off was about thirteen percent. And again, this is just really rough data. I'm sure that it's not perfect, but you know there is a little. There's going to be a little skew towards um, these cornerbacks winning these matchups, but that's something you want to pay a lot more attention to in, in your cash games and your contests where you're just trying to put out a safe lineup in a tournament, especially because of these the perceptions of a lot of these cornerbacks and these defenses. Wide receivers in these type of matchups can go way uh, under-owned, and you can get some good leverage just by playing playing these guys. And then, again, as TJ mentioned, just watch out for those slot receivers and the defenses that give up um, certain you know plays to certain areas of the field or have one one weak cornerback and, and two good ones there. You know, teams scheme all week to exploit these weaknesses, so those can usually um, prove fruitful. Let's go to cash games and talk a little bit about uh, cash game lineup construction for wide receivers. TJ, in, in cash games, is there is there usually a set salary range you're trying to target? Do you have any kind of uh, guidelines as far as if you're trying to pay up or you're trying to save money or you're trying to always target these kind of slot receivers? Or is there anything particular you do in cash games or is it just kind of a on a week by week basis? I would say more than any other position, um, my wide receiver approach tends to vary. Um, on DraftKings, I, I'm going to be more willing um, to kind of pay up for that, that big wide receiver and get those consistent targets. Whereas, uh, Something that, that I notice on FanDuel is, or any site really, sites don't take into account uh, red zone target share into their pricing. So a lot of times we'll see um, wide receivers that have a, a very big red zone target share priced very low, and that's very valuable on FanDuel, even in cash games, because as you mentioned, we're really looking for those red zone targets. A lot of times we'll find, um, wide receiver and, and tight end, we'll get into tight end more, but a lot of times the wide receiver three position, you're, you're kind of forced to punt. So you can find some pretty valuable target volume at, at, uh, at very good pricing. But, um, that is the one position that tends to fluctuate a lot for me in, in terms of my approach. Definitely. And it's, it's tough because there's no really set metric or something we can look to that overwhelmingly provides 
increased consistency. For example, for quarterbacks and and, and kickers, even we have implied point total, and then for defenses, you know, we have the spread, and we have the opponents implied point total, and for running backs, we have the spread. So in tight ends, home splits and being a favorite also helps. So for all these other positions, we can really use the Vegas lines to target players in situations where there's historically we have historical data to prove that they perform more consistently in DFS under these circumstances. For wide receivers, that's not really the case, and we'll get into that a little bit with your big game profiles, TJ, but in terms of cash games, I just looked at implied point total, and implied point total is, of all the Vegas lines for wide receivers, that's the most predictive one, but even so, it's not as predictive as for quarterbacks or any other position, but I was just trying to find something, you know, to hang to hang my hat on, and it turns out that there is a little bit of a relationship between cash game consistency rate and implied point total. It, it starts jumping around twenty two. Consistency starts increasing. Now it's not a it's not a, a perfect relationship again, but around twenty two points, just like I think quarterbacks are the same. Consistency starts increasing, but around thirty points, it the consistency really goes through the roof. So those are the receivers where if there's if there's ever a team projected for thirty points or more, you definitely want to target receivers on those teams. But interestingly, around twenty seven, twenty eight, two thirty, there was actually a decline in consistency. So it went up from 22 to like 27 or 8 and then there was a little bit of a decline and what I would attribute that to is just inflated point totals for certain teams you know the public likes to bet on certain teams the Cowboys seem to always have a implied total a little higher than they should the Packers the Patriots so sometimes these good teams or the Steelers on the road they'll they'll have these implied point totals that probably should be a tiny bit lower than they really are but because the public bets them up they usually get an extra point or two or or Vegas just starts them with an extra point or two and because of that I think that's why you're seeing um, some of that decreased consistency up there but again I'm not sure. Um, n- n- can't be positive there, but something to keep in mind. Um, and let's let's talk about these big game profiles and and these tournaments, TJ. So I noticed that for Fanduel and DraftKings, um, to get to hit a big game, you need 100 receiving yards 89% of the time on Fanduel and 94.3% of the time. On DraftKings, and again, these big game profiles for you, for you guys listening: twenty-four point eight or more Fanduel points, thirty-one point two or more DraftKings points. So that's 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 really big wide receiver numbers, top six numbers in a given week. Um, TJ, just talk a little bit about you know what what you kind of found with these big game profiles: the hundred yards receiving, the multi touchdowns, being at home, and, and all that. Yeah. So be, this is the one spot. I mean, wide receivers have the most upside of of any position, but uh, there there's some slight variation in what you're looking for in FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, usually it's you're, you're just, these wide receivers blow up and they're going to help you win tournaments on both sides, but uh, you want to value targets on DraftKings a, a little bit more um, because you can make up for uh, some of that touchdown upside with a couple catches and with the 100-yard bonus. That's why we see slightly more wide receivers with big games with 100 yards and also uh, slightly more with, with seven or eight catches than on DraftKings than we do on FanDuel. Um, otherwise, we're kind of looking for the same things that we've talked about. We're looking for red zone volume, especially on FanDuel, and I, I think people often forget about how important that bonus is on DraftKings, like I mentioned. 
if you can compile a wide receiver core with at, at least uh, guys that at least have a chance to reach 100 yards, not just going for that red zone target volume, uh, you might be able to find a little bit of GPT. Definitely, value and there. I think another really interesting uh, piece of data I found from these big game profiles was that you looked at implied to- point total with 24 as a cutoff, and more than 50% of wide receivers on FanDuel who scored 24.8 or more, and more than 50% of wide receivers on DraftKings who scored 31.2 or more, their team's implied total was under 24. So I think that's really interesting because I think in a given week, we see ownership that skews more or less toward the high over-under games or the high implied total games. And there are all these wide receivers, I would say, because I would say about, what, maybe half the game, half the teams in a given week have an implied total under 24. So there's all these wide receivers that we're probably overlooking and that are probably going under-owned in these tournaments. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. This is a point that I, I really wanted to hone in on. Um, and it's something we've, we talked about, we talked about it on the quarterback podcast. And we just talk about it a lot in general that, uh, wide receiver is the one position that can thrive in garbage time. Uh, so when we look at these big game profiles, the majority of, of the time, these wide receivers that are having these huge games that are blowing up, they're, they're the expected guys. They're the number one wide receivers on the team, the main targets, the main red zone targets. Uh, but if they are in situations where their, their team's losing, um, if they get six catches for 50 yards in garbage time, that's 11 points. That's almost two touchdowns. So, so that really adds up. And I actually went back and looked at data going back to 2013. And if we look at all wide receivers, um, that were projected to be the number one receiver on their team in terms of, uh, PPR points for that week, t- teams that, or wide receivers that were, um, on teams with low implied point totals or uh, teams that were um, uh, underdogs, those wide receiver ones actually scored more than wide receiver ones um, on teams that are favored or with high implied point totals. And I think that comes down to uh, that garbage time factor a little bit. Now, this is looking at the entire player pool for every single week. Um, so it, I don't think you should just go rush out and only target wide receiver ones that are going to be losing but i think it means you shouldn't shy away from them uh and also we should note that when i I looked at that sample teams that were expected to win and expected to score more points as a whole their wide receiver cores scored more points so if if we're kind of looking for um a way to put that into action those teams that are going to win and score a lot more points, you can look at their wide receiver twos more confidently, whereas those teams that are going to lose and might not score a lot of points, you can look at their wide receiver ones as players that might be uh, really grossly underowned. That's a great point because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking the same thing. It has all these implications as far as how you build your lineup in tournaments because if half of the wide receivers that are having these big games are, or more than half, are from teams with implied point totals under 24, that's big because so many people stack in tournaments and so many people are stacking with their quarterback and the the top quarterbacks... As we always talk about, the top few quarterbacks are always going to be owned kind of disproportionately, and those quarterbacks are almost always going to be on the teams with the high implied point totals. So a lot of people are kind of locking themselves into these similar lineup constructions where 
you have, you know, a quarterback on a high implied team and then that number one wide receiver on that team with a high implied total. And they're probably missing out on some value by not having enough exposure to these wide receivers, ones especially on, on teams that don't have as much of a high implied total. And I also talked about this on the quarterback pod as well, but when you see expensive wide receivers, they're almost never stacked with their quarterback in these winning large field GPPs um, on the FanDuel Sunday Million and the, and the Millie Maker, you know, stacking these these top wide receivers with with the expensive wide receivers over 8K with a quarterback, you saw that in about, you know, less than 20% of the time. So major implications as far as lineup construction strategy, you know, as TJ mentioned, really good point. Look at maybe look at some of the wide receiver twos or, or, or just the tight ends or some other cheaper option when you're stacking, when you're using a, a top quarterback and then and then fill, fill your pay up for those for maybe those some of those wide receivers who have the low implied point totals who maybe will go a little on their own. Because, again, the Vegas lines are something that a lot of people are looking at, but not a lot. Not everyone knows how to um, kind of assess the Vegas lines and and, re, and act on them uh, accordingly. I'll, let's get more into stacking. But before we do, I just want to say that fantasy football fans Listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try these new best ball leagues on my new favorite app, Draft. It's a season-long league just like you play with your friends but with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. Draft takes care of the hard work. You don't even have to set your lineup. Your best score gets automatically selected every week. You can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you could join one right now. And the best part, there are no salary caps, and you can play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3, so there's a league for everyone. It's so easy to start playing draft today. Just go to playdraft.com slash 4 for 4. That's playdraft.com, the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4, and you can join a game in minutes. All the new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use my promo code 4 for 4. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code, the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4. Be sure to check out Draft. It's really fun. It's what a lot of us fantasy enthusiasts have been uh, playing all offseason, so... Be sure to check it out. Let's get back into some of this tournament strategy for wide receivers and, and stacking specifically. Um, with we talked about, you know, limiting the stacking with with studs. TJ, talk about some other stacks for wide receivers that may be a little bit not as popular as the quarterback wide receiver one, but have proven effective um, that you look at in a given week. Yeah, there's a few that stand out to me. Um, one is kind of a, a team stack. We've seen this have success before where people were, will pair not only a wide receiver one with their quarterback, but also a wide receiver two. Obviously, those tend to be games uh, where you expect that team to score a lot of passing touchdowns, but uh, that is a spot that people kind of tend to shy away from just because they're they're worried about the two wide receivers cannibalizing each other's points. But if your uh, quarterback's throwing for four or five touchdowns, that could be a really spot to, good spot to do that. Uh, another one that I really like is uh, a wide receiver and running back. Kind of the same logic there. You can lock up an entire team's um, team touchdowns between their wide receiver one and running back one. Uh, obviously, that one is a little more... 
uh, cost prohibitive, but but sometimes you can find those two players in a decent enough range to make it work out. Uh, and then another one that that we really like to talk about on this podcast is the opposing wide receiver. So um, wide receivers facing each other, or even better, a quarterback with his wide receiver and then a pass catcher from the other team, and kind of piggybacking on what we were just talking about with the big game profiles. A lot of times when people do that, reference to it as a game stack, when they game stack, they're just looking for the shootouts. Um, I think there's a big edge in taking the information that we have found in the big game profiles. Sure, if... If you want your quarterback and wide receiver on that, uh, maybe the highest owned stack of the week, but you still want to have some exposure to them, a really nice way to maybe get a unique lineup is to get that opposite wide receiver one if it's on a team. If they, if you think it's going to be a blowout, a lot of times people don't want the other side of the blowout, but you can leverage what we found out about wide receiver ones that are playing from behind and build that game stack. So that's a really good way to uh, take advantage of that situation there. Yeah, these opposing stacks are really something that I used a lot more last year with a lot of success. And that's because when I did my research on the for the definitive guide to stacking um, on DraftKings and on FanDuel, two articles um, on 4 for 4 right now. But I looked at, for example, on DraftKings, when a quarterback scores... 25 or more points on DraftKings, what are the other positions doing? And what I found was that when a quarterback scores 25 or more points, first of all, the opposing quarterback scores 25 or more points 61% of the time. That's more than any player on the own quarterback's team. So from there, then we see that, okay, the quarterback's top wide receiver scores 44% of the time. He also goes over 25. And then in third place is the opposing wide receiver, one. So what that tells you is that these opposing passing games are really some of the most highly correlated stacks and when you're when if you want to have exposure to one to a team in a in a certain game and you think his quarterback is going to do well and his wide receiver is going to do well you might also want to get exposure to not just his other wide receiver in a stack but just get exposure to that whole stack period as tj kind of alluded to just now because the quarterback is is, is highly correlated too so something to keep in mind there those opposing stacks with the opposing passing games, those can really pay off. And again, it comes down to using your lineup construction strategy in such a way that it, it, it kind of cuts down on the amount of things you need to get right. Instead of needing to get right nine different situations, if you do these passing game stacks, maybe three or four players, you know, two, two, a stack of two and then a, an opposing player or a stack of three and opposing player or a stack of two players and then two opposing players, anything like that. Now you're getting into a situation where you have three or four player situations where if you get that one situation right, you have three or four players that are going to hit. And then maybe if you have one or one or two other stacks in your lineup, you're suddenly in a situation where instead of getting needing to get nine things correct in, independently, you're kind of cutting down on that a little bit. And I think that's that's kind of one of the keys because you, you're not even if you have even if you're entering 150 lineups into a GPP, it's still a limit. You still can't cover every single one of of your bases. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, let's talk about ownership quickly. TJ, how are you going about finding maybe a differentiated play at wide receiver? Are you just kind of looking at what we talked about, the wide receiver ones and the underdogs? Because when it comes to ownership in for wide receivers in these in these large field GPPs especially, what I found is that 
Um, the wide receiver, the, the, there's always one wide receiver that's usually a very low owned because there's there's so many to choose from that. That's what's usually going to put a lineup over the top. The, the the top wide receiver average ownership was 26% in the Millie Maker and 22% in the Sunday Million over the last two years. The, the second highest owned, 13% in the Millie Maker, 11% in the Sunday Million. But the the number three, the 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 lowest owned on FanDuel, and the if there's no flex, um, the lowest owned on DraftKings was seven percent on DraftKings and five percent on FanDuel. So you're usually going to need kind of there's this high low thing where you, you you can usually get away with one chalk play, but you also need to balance that with at least one um, contrarian play. So how are you going about that dynamic, TJ? Yeah, the, the wide receiver position is the position where I'm I'm most meticulously managing my personal um, ownership inside of my GPP portfolio, uh, and that's just because it, at the onesie positions, my ownership tends to be pretty flat across my portfolio for different reasons for different positions. Uh, running back, obviously, I'm managing a little bit relative to expected ownership, but uh, like we talked about in the last podcast, Running backs tend to be pretty predictable, so my player pool at that position is is generally not huge. Wide receiver, I usually have a pretty significant uh, player pool relative to other positions, and it's also um, a very volatile position. So when you add those those two factors in, I'm really paying attention to projected ownership, and then just trying to go uh, against the grain as much as possible. So if we look at at the top wide receivers. Sometimes you'll see something where you have like Julio and or Odell um, owned four or five times as much as Antonio or vice versa. Because the, the position is so volatile, one receiver almost never has five times as much of a chance to um, have the big game as the next receiver, regardless of matchup or situation. So I really like to exploit uh, those situations, and I'm... I shouldn't say never. I'm very rarely going with the chalk, at least in terms of um, being on par with the field or going overweight on the field because it just doesn't make sense at this position. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm completely fading the chalky plays at wide receivers, but I'll, I'll often be significantly underweight on those positions. And then we're, we're talking about the cheaper, lower-owned guys. Um, this is kind of the reason I have a bigger bigger player pool at wide receiver. You don't have to have a ton of these guys to be overweight on the field. You mentioned uh, some of these guys, 5%, 7%. If you have one of those players in 15% of your lineups, you have a huge advantage over the field that only has him in 5% of the overall lineup. So um, those factors just kind of th- – th- those are what I'm thinking about when I'm building my my player portfolio. And then um, after that, I'm, I'm manage- managing in in terms of uh, what are my stacks. I mean, my guys that are part of a quarterback stack, those are obviously going to be uh, higher owned in my portfolio because I'm also going to want to get pieces of those guys where they're not attached to their quarterbacks. Uh, and then um, everything else kind of comes down to uh, price and salary restrictions. Yeah, you hit on some great points. And before we get out of here, I guess we'll close. I'll just talk a little bit more about the the whole chalk versus contrarian uh, debate. So I, I put a lot of time into thinking about this and, and researching this because I think it's there's so many wide receivers and it's one of the most it's pretty pretty much the most important position to get right and the position where you're kind of always debating with yourself probably internally should I play or fade the chalk. And what I found was that okay. In these large field GPPs, you know, the top wide receivers usually owned in 20-25% of lineups, the highest owned wide receiver. Most of those wide receivers 
that are owned that high, that actually make it into winning lineups, have been the expensive ones, have been the ones 8K+. plus. On the flip side, what I found, and this is probably a little counterintuitive to what I initially, I think, thought maybe a year or two, three ago, but the whole um, using a pivoting from a, from a chalk expensive wide receiver to a uh, a similarly expensive wide receiver who isn't the chalk, that strategy actually hasn't worked very well. So what's, what I think is going on there is it's kind of a little similar to running back where there's a few wide receivers, the Antonio Browns, the Julios, the Odells, and maybe the AJ Greens and maybe one or two other guys depending on the year last year. It was Mike Evans for a while. Um, but usually those top tier of wide receivers – they'll be predictable in certain situations. And in those cases, it's like there's certain when Antonio Brown is at home with, uh, you know, a solid matchup, it's almost, you know, he's going off, you know, or or Julio or somebody like that. So those situations haven't been profitable to to fade or to pivot or anything like that. However, what one thing that I thought was interesting that came out of looking at that as well was that, okay, well, most of these high, uh, highly owned wide receivers that make it into the winning lineups are expensive. That means that the situation where you probably want to think about a fade is those cheaper value punt play wide receivers that are gonna are expected to be chalk because what happens there is I think people get overconfident in in these in these guys or their ownership gets inflated maybe because they seem like the only option because you know when you're digging in those lower tiers of salary at wide receiver there's almost no short thing you know it's not like running back where there's going to be guaranteed 20 touches 15 touches even at the low a minimum salary if you're looking for low salary wide receivers they either haven't broke out yet or it's kind of probably more speculation that they're even going to get targets. So I think if there's only one or two of those options in a given week, people are going to flock to those options and be overconfident. And I, those are the situations where you want to think about a fade because, again, there's so much, so such a wide range of outcomes for wide receivers. You could have one of those chalk receivers catch six, seven balls, but maybe they only go for 50 yards and no touchdowns and he gets, you know, 10, 15 points and that doesn't really necessarily do anything for you in a gpp so um that that's something that i, I really wanted to to um stress but before we get out of here uh, any final thoughts on ownership or anything like that tj yeah i think we we pretty much um covered all the bases today um like i like i mentioned before um it's just it's people need to keep in mind that the wide receiver is just a very volatile position but because of that it does offer um offer the most upside so that's why uh a lot of times uh, you'll see people um slanting towards a, a wide receiver and flex on DraftKings or something like that now i'd say you should always do that it's kind of like a, a coin flip if we look at the statistics but uh i i think people often get worried about uh not having those top running backs if they're in gpps um and paying up for one two sometimes three wide receivers uh that could be very very profitable yeah, yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll get out of here on that note then. The wide receiver, the top, the most expensive wide receiver in the DraftKings Millie Maker averaged, uh, $8,000. That was, uh, over 11, 
$100 higher than any other player um, in winning in the winning lineup. And on FanDuel Sunday Million, the highest owned receiver average, $8,400. That was higher also than any other position. The quarterback was second at 81 um, The wide receiver, two uh, on DraftKings, uh, cost an average of 1600 more than the RB2. And on FanDuel, the wide receiver, two cost uh, about $1,000 more on average than the RB2. So people are paying up for wide receivers to win these large field tournaments. Um, that's what's been going on. Again, you know, don't ever take these and just run with them and build your whole lineup construction strategy around them because at the end of the day, it comes down to the players involved. But as TJ has mentioned over and over, the wide receiver position is the highest upside position, and you're usually going to be able to find some replaceable volume um, for, from a running back at, at least in one slot. So um, if, you, if, you're, if you're building a lot of tournament lineups and you find yourself not really paying for wide receiver that much, you find your average salary is more skewed toward running backs, um, you probably want to rethink it a little bit and try to get some, some higher upside options at the wide receiver position into your t- tournament lineups. But that about does it for DFS MVP this, uh, I shouldn't even say week because it's really day. We've been dropping podcasts like crazy. But that's it for the wide receiver strategy. The tight end strategy podcast will be up next. And then, of course, the week one breakdown where we'll talk about our top plays at each position. We'll talk some DFS theory segment, um, some DFS theory, excuse me. Uh, For those new listeners, we do a DFS theory segment at the end of each weekly in-season pod. So if you guys want to catch up on some of the old ones, feel free to go to iTunes and just check out some of the older pods. The DFS theory segments are usually at the end. Um, Started putting them in the notes exactly where they start at some point last season. I'm not sure exactly when, but you should be able to go back and just kind of fast forward to the end of the pods um, and here are some of those DFS theory segments. We talk about things like bankroll management and contest selection and and just overall game theory and, and things of that nature. So definitely some good stuff and we'll be sure to revisit a lot of the most popular topics again this year for, for the new listeners. Um, again, one more time. If you guys would be so kind as to rate and review DFS MVP on iTunes, you can get a 25% discount on a 4 for 4 football DFS subscription if you screenshot the rating and review um, and send it to... Uh, DFS MVP at 444.com. Um, it has to be a rating and review, a new one. So it has to be starting from when are we recording this? This is August 31st. So I guess this will probably be out, um, in the next couple of days. So it has to be, um, after starting in September. Um, just send that screenshot over and we will get you a code for a 25% off a 444 football DFS subscription. Thank you guys for listening and be sure to stay tuned for the next pod on tight ends. TJ, any last words? The shmoney ain't no joke. Yes, sir. Be sure to follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Follow me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Let's get this shmoney. To let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure it's broke. When I'm gone, no one gets on. Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I set. I like to stand in the crowd and watch the people wonder. Damn, but think about it, then you understand. I'm just an addict addicted to music. Maybe it's a habit. I gotta use it. Even if it's jazz or the quiet storm, I hook a beat up, convert it into hip hop form. Write a rhyme and graffiti and everything.
baby show you see me in deep concentration cause I'm no comedian jokers are wild if you want to be tame I treat you like a child